taking good care of me. Father, we bless your name now and ask you to speak to us. As your word goes forth, we pray that we would be not just hearers of your word, but doers as well. Meet us where we are and move us from where we are to where we need to be. That ultimately what we do and say will be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have probably had that feeling. You purchase an item that you really want only to walk out of the store and say to yourself, why did I just spend that much money? Why did I buy that ad item? Oh, oh no, here's the, here's the really bad one. When you buy something and the salesperson says, oh, you got a great deal. And the next day, you see the item on sale in the paper for way less than you paid, right? It's called buyer's remorse. People have acknowledged it so much so that there are companies now who build in time for you to be able to bring back your item. Hey, if you buy it and you have buyer's remorse, you have seven days, you have 30 days, you can bring it back. No questions asked because they know whenever we make that kind of investment of our money, we typically have those kinds of regrets, even if it only lasts for a moment. My brothers and sisters, while all of us may have experienced that one time or another buyer's remorse, I don't know if there's anybody in here who has experienced giving remorse. In other words, when it comes to giving to the kingdom work of God, when it comes to presenting to God just a portion of what God has blessed you with, how many times have you walked out and said, you know what? I shouldn't have given that much. Now, I'll be honest with you. There have been times that God has given me some real explicit directions. I mean, I have sensed the spirit of God on me saying, this is what I want you to give. And I literally said, God, is that you? <laughs> and then, God, are you sure? And here's the crazy part. When God tells you to give something, it's not like you can say, I don't have it. Because <laughs> he already knows what he's blessed you with, right? I can't say, God, I can't afford it because God says, no, I provide for you what you have and what you will have, all I need from you is obedience. Today, as we continue our walk through the T-Cubed 147 series, I want to talk about how to make the best use of your treasure. Now, for those of you who are visiting with us, or maybe this is your first time being with us, T-Cubed 147 is a challenge in honor of our 147th church anniversary. We've been blessed here at Good Hope, the fourth Sunday in March of next month. 
We will celebrate our 147th anniversary. We have six pastors in 147 years. We have a tremendous history and legacy of advocacy and spiritual work in this community. I'm grateful to be a custodian of this legacy for the season that God has me here. And you as well are part now of the history and fabric of this church. Question is, what will we do to celebrate our church anniversary? And what will we do to change our lives so we can continue to help our church be all that God intends for it to be? The first T we looked at was time. The second T we looked at was talent. And I'll be honest with you. There's some excitement when folks start talking about how to better use your time. And we cool when somebody talks about how to use my talent. But now when you get to that treasure part, yeah, we kind of like, okay. We know the T's rhyme, Pastor, but don't be talking about this one too much, you know. (laughs) But I really want to encourage you to understand that getting an understanding of how you handle your possessions will really help you make a greater commitment of your person to God. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? amen? If you need one, raise your hand. How to make the best use of your treasure. Now, the context of this letter to the church at Corinth and the subject matter is the church at Macedonia. Christians who worshiped in Macedonia. Macedonia was part of the Roman Empire that included all of northern Greece. Uh, There were churches in that region, including the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, and the church at Berea. Uh, We are familiar, or at least more familiar, with the church at Philippi and the church of Thessalonica because of the letters that Paul wrote to those specific churches. Uh, What's interesting is this area, this province had been down for many years. Uh, It had been down um, because its natural resources had been pulled out and the area had been ravaged by centuries of war. As a matter of fact, the Roman Empire stripped it of all of its wealth to maintain the luxurious lifestyle that they wanted to have in Rome. And so the people in this area were suffering in Macedonia. But what's interesting is in the midst of their suffering, the apostle Paul uses them as an example or model for giving. Now, these are people who were poor. These people were so poor, they couldn't afford the OR on poor, so they were poor. Right? I mean, these were people who suffered. These were people who were struggling. And Paul says, these struggling, suffering people are the model that you need to use when you think about your own giving. Most of us don't give because we feel like we have too much to give. We don't give like we used to give. Some of you may think you have too little to give. Paul says, I guarantee you, you can't beat the church at Macedonia because those Christians gave not out of their plenty, but they gave out of their lack. Here's the first thing. Number one, you need to give because God has been good to you. 
You need to give because God has been good to you. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the contemporary English version reads, My friends, we want you to know that the churches in Macedonia have shown others how kind God is. How kind God is. Underline that phrase. How kind God is. How loving God is. They recognized how good God had been to them, and so they in turn took it upon themselves to show the goodness of God to others. Verse 2, although they were going through hard times and were very poor, they were glad to give generously. They gave as much as they could afford and even more simply because they wanted to. They even asked and begged us to let them have the joy of giving their money for God's people. And they did more than we had hoped. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. Now, let's be honest. If things are going well, we may or may not give. But if things are going tough and hard and the month is longer than the money and the change is strange and the money is funny, we holding back. That's not the time we become generous in giving. Paul says this church at Macedonia went through hard times. They were very poor, but they were glad to give generously. Uh, that word generously means with singleness of mind, sincerely, openly, with a free heart. Because here's what the church at Macedonia, here's what those Christians understood and you and I need to understand. The amount you have doesn't change the attitude of what you have. This text almost seems paradoxical, almost seems oxymoronic. How could they be poor and generous? They, they're poor. They don't have any extra. They're barely making it, and the Bible says they had a generous spirit. Generosity is not tied to what you have. It's tied to your attitude. And there are too many of us who have been blessed by God, watch this, with more than we need, and we give less than we can because not of the amount, but the attitude that we don't have when it comes to giving. Bad attitude. Now, let me prove to you how bad the attitude is of the person who's next to you. Not you, but the person next to you. I literally had a person say this. When they would get a dollar... They gave a dime on a dollar. They practiced the principle of tithing. They made $100. They give $10. Practice the principle of tithing. When they started making 100000 a year, they stopped tithing because they said the tithe was too much to give. <laughs> Why did the principle that you practiced when you had a little 
Why did that principle change when God blessed you with a lot? And here's the truth. The truth is some of you used to pray that prayer. You know what you used to pray? You used to pray like, Lord, if I just get this raise, I promise I'm going to tie. Lord, if you just give me this promotion, woo, when I make that money, Lord, I'm, the first thing I'm going to do, Lord, is give back to you. And you done three, got three or four promotions down the road. It ain't changed your giving yet. You still giving that holy dollar or that Trinitarian offering. One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost. Right? You used to give a dollar when a dollar meant something. Like when a dollar would get you a bag of groceries. Yeah, okay, a dollar was worth something back then. You can't get penny candy for a dollar now. And you putting that same dollar in and thinking you're doing something for God. And God has blessed you with so much more. Look at what the Bible says. They gave beyond their ability to give. They gave sacrificially. But even more than that, they gave willingly. Can, can you imagine verse 4? They begged for the privilege. They asked to have the joy of giving their money. Look, I've pastored four churches. I've been preaching since 1981, been a Christian since 1979, been attending church since 1977. I ain't never heard of nobody begging for an opportunity to give. I've never had anybody in church say, hey, pastor, please, please ask them to pass the baskets again. I want to give more. The Bible says these people had tapped into the joy of giving their money for God's people. Can I tell you something? You would hear people say, give until it hurts. That's a bad statement. Don't give until it hurts. Give until you get to a place of joy. And can I tell you something? Giving out of convenience is not a place of joy. Giving out of a place of joy is when you know you are giving at a level that is pleasing to God and at a level that God is expecting you to give. That's the place of joy. When you pray and say, Lord, how do you want me to give and what do you want me to give? And God gives you that number that in your flesh, you may not want to give, but the Spirit of God moves you. And you never have giver's remorse when you give as the Spirit of God leads. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So one of the moving comments that I got over the last couple of weeks was one of our members who came to me and he said, Pastor, he said, man, I've been so moved by by the message and the series that you've been preaching. He said, and my wife and I have decided to make a commitment to the 147 challenge. He said, we, we're committing above our regular giving to give $147 every month to the kingdom work. And I said, well, praise God. I said, 
may the saints hear what the Spirit is saying. I'm like, man, I didn't even come up with that one. I'm like, that is awesome, right? Like, how can you give in a way that moves you to the place of joy in your giving where you know your giving is making a difference? Here's the second thing. Number two, you need to realize your giving shows how much you really love God and others. You must realize your giving shows how much you really love God and others. You should give because you recognize God has been good to you. But you should also give knowing that when you give, you really show how much you love God and others. Verse 5 says, and they did more than we had hoped. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us just as God wanted them to do. Verse 6, Titus was the one who got you started doing this good thing. So we begged him to have you finish what you had begun. There was some giving that was taking place, and because of situations and circumstances, that giving stopped. And so Paul says, hey, we need you to pick back up what you were doing. You made a commitment and you started strong, but you faded in the middle. We need you to pick back up what you said you were going to do in the commitment that you made to God. Is there anybody in here God is trying to speak to you and tell you, pick back up the commitment you made? Is there anybody in here who promised the Lord and said, God, this is what I'm going to do, and you started strong? But life happened and circumstances and situations came, and maybe you just forgot. And you stopped doing what you told God you were going to do for the kingdom work? Paul says, pick it back up. And then I love verse 7. He says, you do everything better than anyone else. You have stronger faith. You speak better and no more. You are eager to give and you love us better. Now you must give more generously than anyone else. Listen, basically here's what Paul says. You so spiritual, and everybody else is so unspiritual, and you so gifted, and you got it going on, because you know that's what you say, right? You got it going on, right? And God says, if you got it like that, then you need to give more generously. If all that you've been saying, boasting on yourself, is true, then your giving needs to match everything else you've been saying. Watch what God says. A, the sincerity of your love is shown in the generosity of your giving. The sincerity of your love is shown in the generosity of your giving. Your giving must be based upon love for those who are lost and needy. Okay? Now, I got to say something because, you know, when people say, I got a gift. Well, it's the thought that counts. The thought only counts when you don't have much to give. The thought doesn't count when you are seen to be less generous or stingy or unthoughtful in your giving. Let me put it like this. If I have no money and I give you a handmade card, 
the thought counts. If I'm worth a million and I'm too cheap to buy you anything and I give you a handmade card made by somebody else, the thought don't count. Are you following what I'm saying? Right? Thoughtfulness is linked to ability. When you do the best you can, we appreciate the thought. But when you can do better and you choose not to do better, now you are walking in an area of life that is not pleasing to God. God says our giving should be marked by generosity. A spirit of generosity. You know, I had a dinner with a, pastor, a group of pastors not too long ago, and one of them who was in his 60s, moving into 70s, he said, I am pastoring the last generation of generous people. But here's what I want you to know. Generosity is learned. Right? It doesn't come naturally. Because all of us were born little selfish pagan heathens. That, all of us, that's what we were born there. All of it. We cried when we wanted something and let folk know we were hungry, need our diaper changed or whatever. And we've been crying ever since to get our way. Right. You have to be taught how to be generous. You have to learn how to be generous and recognize that generosity is against the grain of your flesh. Right. Generosity says I'm going to give. My flesh says I want to get. Generosity says I'm going to provide for you, my flesh says, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Look at B. The generosity of your giving shows you're following the example of Christ. The generosity of your giving shows you are following the example of Christ. Look at verse 9. You know that our Lord Jesus Christ was kind enough to give up all his riches and become poor so that you could become rich. The Lord Jesus gave up all. So if he gave up all for you, is it so much that he asked from you a portion of what he has blessed you with? When he gave up his all, Paul says he's the model for our giving. And typically, when we give, we got little side deals on our giving, right? Like, I'll give you all that I have in my pocket because I know everything that I have is not in my pocket. But I'm going to give you all. Here, man, take it. Well, what's in your pocket? Is everything in your pocket? No, well, everything ain't in my pocket. Right? Uh, I had two guys that were working for me. So they were talking noise. Man, who could play basketball better, you know? And they were like, man, man, we're going to settle it on the court one-on-one. Man, ain't no problem, man. Put some money on it. Yes, sir, I'll put some money on it. Well, how much you want to put on it? Uh, 50? Oh, man, 50? 100? Well, sugar, if you're going to go 100, let's make it 200. Tell you what, put our checks on it. So them boys were playing for a check. All right, everybody heard it. He's going to pay for his check. Bet, play for a check. Friday, payday, checks get handed out. We're going down to the court. We're going to settle it. So they go down and play for the check. And, of course, one of them loses. 
And what's funny is when it's time for him to sign over his check, he, he ain't sweating it or nothing. He just signed it over. So I'm like, man, this dude just, you know, because I, I get a little OCD with my money. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, you know, so I'm like, man, he just signed it over, right? So I saw him late. I said, man, uh, yo, man, why? You sure signed that check over pretty easy. He said, oh, I wasn't worrying about it, man. Most of my check goes to direct deposit. I just, that ain't <laughs> He's like, that was gas money, you know what I mean? <laughs> And I was sitting there thinking, now, I wonder if when the other person said check and check, if they understood that their checks were not created equal, right? Because <laughs> they didn't say account to account. They just said check to check. Listen to me carefully. God is looking for you to be generous in a way that models the generosity that Jesus gave to us. And the truth of the matter is, whether you realize it or not, we literally are living on the shoulders of a legacy of generosity. Listen to me carefully. There were people who paid for property that they never walked on. People who helped pay for this building that never came in it. People who paid for that building that died before we cut the ribbon. People who paid for a gym who hadn't played basketball in years. People who paid for a kitchen that they never got a chance to cook in. They paid so that the next generation could be blessed. Now here's the question, what will we do to ensure the next generation is blessed before all of us are gone because all of us are leaving eventually? You're either going to walk out or roll out, but you won't be here always. I won't be here always. What legacy are we going to leave behind? Will we leave a legacy of generosity? When it's time for us to build our new children's ministry facility, will we leave a legacy of generosity? When it's time for us to develop the promised land, will we leave a legacy of generosity that shows others the love that God has for him, for this community, and the love that God has for his people? What legacy will we leave behind? The Bible says, above everything, your giving should be willingly given. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly giving. It's like Paul said, I know how y'all do with the offering. I don't want y'all frowning up your faces when we got company. I'm going to send somebody to get that offering together before I get there. So when we get there and it's time for the offering, we can just applaud everybody's smile because we already know you're going to have a frown on your face. Remember this, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, 
at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. My pastor used to always say, you can't beat God giving. You can't. When you give, God says, I'm already planning my next blessing because you are giving out of a blessing you have already received. You can't beat God giving. Somebody in here, you say, well, I would give more if God just blessed me more. God said, no, I've already blessed you enough. You haven't learned how to give with what I've already blessed you with. You can't beat God giving, but you always have to pay up front. Because God blessed you long before you even knew him. Here's the final thing. Number three, you must give, not based upon what you have, but what you're willing to give. You must give, not based upon what you have, but what you're willing to give. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians 8. A year ago, you were the first ones to give, and you gave because you wanted to. So listen to my advice. I think you should finish what you started. If you give according to what you have, you will prove that you are as eager to give as you were to think about giving. Verse 12, it doesn't matter how much you have. What matters is how much you are willing to give from what you have. Underline verse 12, it doesn't matter what you have. If I had more, I would give more. God says you're not giving with the less you already have. It doesn't matter what you have. There's somebody in here, you are worth far more than you've ever been worth in your life. And you're still cheap when it comes to the church. And if you get mad at me today and say, I ain't coming back, that's fine. But at least give an offering so I'll miss you when you're gone. I'm just saying. Put a whole lot in there, you know, four or five figures, you know. Then leave and send me a letter and say, you won't get that no more. (laughs) Look at A under three. Make sure your giving today is better than it was in the past. When you examine your giving, Paul says they started, they didn't finish. Get back and do what you started doing. Is your giving better today than it was in the past, not just in terms of amount, but also percentage. Are you giving better than you did in the past, right? I teased you earlier, but I was being serious. Like if you gave a dollar when you was a child and you're still giving a dollar as an adult, there's a problem there, right? If you spend more money at your happy hour than you give to the Lord, there's a problem. Mic check, one. (laughs) If you spend more on your morning beverage than you give to the Lord, shame on you. Shame on you if to not look bad, you give a 20% tip but can't give 10% to the Lord. Shame on you. There's something wrong with that. Now, if you don't want to do right, just say, you know what, I'm going to do wrong. But don't argue that it's better to give 20% on your tab, including your drinks, and you can't give the Lord 10%. 
Make sure your giving today is better than it was in the past. Here's the second thing. B, make sure you are ready and willing to give. Make sure you are ready and willing to give. Make the commitment to financially support the work God is doing in, with, and through your church. Hebrews 13, 16, let's read it together. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God wants to use your giving to make a difference in the lives of people. That's what God wants to do. Now, the question is, what do you want to do with your giving? So, one of the most moving movies I've had the occasion to watch was the movie Schindler's List. It was a movie that chronicled a part of the life of a German industrialist by the name of Oskar Schindler, who was in German-occupied Poland. And Oskar Schindler, this industrialist, made products and sold them, and one of his factories was converted into a munitions factory. But Oskar Schindler did something that no German would do. Oskar Schindler went out of his way to hire Jews. And he hired Jews to work for him and kept them from going to concentration camps and or to the gas chamber. Hence the name of the movie, Schindler's List. Because if you were on Schindler's List, that meant you had a job and your life was spared. Oscar Schindler hired as many people as he could. He wasn't worried about making a profit. As a matter of fact, as time went on, he would intentionally sabotage the process of making munitions so that, for example, the shells would be just too big or just too small so they wouldn't work, but they wouldn't find out until they got to the front line. And he kept on hiring people. At the end of the movie, Oscar Schindler is told he needs to leave because the Allied forces are coming in. Germany has been defeated, and he will be arrested for war crimes. And every person in that factory, almost 1,200 people, wrote and signed a letter of support for Oscar Schindler so that if he ever was captured, people would know the story and what he had done to save the lives of some 1,200 Jews. I want you to watch this last scene and watch the remorse that Oscar Schindler has as he thinks about not who he saved, but who he could have saved.
Hebrew from the Talmud. It says whoever saves one life saves the world entire. He who saves one life saves the world entire. Thousands of people were saved by Oscar Schindler when that movie was finally produced by Steven Spielberg. They brought together the survivors of Schindler's List and their descendants, including his wife. And hundreds of people walked by and placed a stone on his final resting place as a tribute to what the man had done. But did you hear his remorse? This car, I could have got 10 people. I could have got another car. The gold pin could have saved two more lives. The remorse that Oscar Schindler had was sad. But do you know what would be sadder? For you to have remorse in heaven. To look at the stuff that you have and the junk that you have accumulated, because that's basically what it's going to become. And to be able to say, you know what? 
for that third car or fourth car or fifth car. I could have helped save a thousand more people in eternity. For the jewelry, the excess in my lifestyle, I could have changed X number of lives. What a tragedy for Oscar Schindler to be able to quantify his stuff and to say, this is how many people's lives I could have saved. He was known for his flamboyance. He was known to be a playboy. He was known to have dated the, the, the richest and the prettiest across Europe. He was known for that. And he gets to the end of his life and finds out, man, that none of that stuff mattered at all. He could have saved lives with it. And I'm telling you, our kingdom giving saves lives, changes lives on earth and in glory. Question is, are you willing to be a partner with God in his kingdom work? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. We thank you, God, for reminding us that we really are spiritual beings on an earthly journey. We live to please ourselves on the temporary side and fail to invest on eternity side. God, help us today to change our focus. God, in honor of our 147th anniversary, I pray that you would move in the hearts and minds of your people to give a special gift. But even more than that, I pray that you would move them to make a lifetime commitment to change their focus, to think about and live for eternity's impact. We bless you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.